episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 27. This week I caught up with Ryan Carter from United Speed Shop up in Georgetown, New South Wales. He's located in the Newcastle area. And they're putting out some really nice, high-quality builds out of the speed shop there. And really good chat with Ryan. Uh, you I really recommend jumping on and subscribing to their YouTube channel. They do some really good videos uh, just documenting the builds. So jump on there and have a look. And, uh, yeah, we had a great chat to Ryan and a bit about his life and and how the shop got going. Ryan had his seven-month-old daughter with him in the shop on a Saturday, and uh, you'll hear a little bit of her crying in the background. So that's what that noise is. But great to see him... uh, pushing through with this business and and it's a bit of a family affair his dad was there on the day as well helping out so great job and uh i hope you enjoy this episode ryan thanks for coming on board and having a chat to everyone on the podcast i mean i've been following you guys for quite a while now and and watching a lot of your videos and you know it's great just to see someone in the aussie scene who's who's stepping up to the level that you guys are so welcome to the podcast and uh and you're in in the shop on a saturday working hard yeah, mate, in here trying to get a few things done, catch up on some stuff. And I've actually got my old man in here today doing a bit for us as well. And um, young, young apprentices in here knocking out a few things as well. So just trying to make use of the day and get a bit done. So she's not a real nice old day outside anyway. So get done what we can. Yeah, yeah. No, we've we've got snow on the hills around us. So it's freezing down here. Yeah, where you at? In Vic? Uh, yeah, I'm in Mount Beauty, which is just the base of Falls Creek Ski Resort. So. Okay, good. Yeah, freezing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell us a bit about, you know, when you were a young buck, what, what were your influences as a, as a kid, you know, was your old man a hot rider or, or what were your first memories of cars? Yeah, I'd have to say that's where it all came from, from, from old man. So he's been a hot rider as long as I've been alive. Um, so yeah, you can pretty much blame him for most of it. Um, so same old story. I was out in the shed with the spanner, you know, holding stuff for him and that when I was a couple of years old and, and just growing from there, you know. So, and he's, he's still in the shop today. So, you know, not much has changed in 40 years, I suppose, if you look at it that way. Um, but yeah, as a kid, we all our, all our family holidays were to hot rod runs and, and stuff like that, you know. So, um, dad had a, a 29 Chev, uh, as a rose to pick up when I was, I was young. I mean, my sister used to go in the back of it, he'd build a little cabin section in the back back tray he probably wouldn't even be allowed to do that these days um but um we went in there and later on he turned it into a tourer and um and that's the car he had when we were we were were young yeah so um yeah short answer pretty much comes from dad so yeah it's a it's a common thread and and what what's his background was was he a mechanic or a panel beater or just a no um, enjoyed it 
No, actually, he by trade was a um, interior um, a curtain fitter and interior, you know, type um, planner and fitter type thing. So he always wanted to do something actually in um, art and design. You know, back then, I guess they called it commercial artist or something back then. It's graphic designer these days. Um, but I think it just wasn't really an opportunity available to him back then. And he sort of took what came along. And, um, but he was like us. He mucked around with with, with um, cars and stuff from being a young young bloke. Back then, there was FJ Holdens and, and stuff like that that they got around in back then. He used to he grew up on the northern beaches. And um, so he's he was just always interested. And, in, yeah, he was just, uh, just into hot rods. So, um, unfortunately, didn't do anything through it with it through his work but um that was kind of what he lived and breathed outside of work so yeah mm. it's not it's not always it's not always a bad thing though like i think you know i find if you if your passion becomes your job that there, there is a danger of that really exactly um, yeah. changing yeah. changing it yeah there's a risk of that and, and i do get a bit of that now, i went to the, the u.s about 10 years ago now i spent three months over there me and a good mate we bought an old rv with a with a 440 big block cruiser in it and cruised around the States for about three months. And I specifically did not go to a hot rod shop or a hot rod show or, or anything the whole time, uh, except we went to the uh, NASCAR in Charlotte. Um, but other than that, I tried to avoid that stuff on purpose, you know, uh, because it's what you do all day, every day. And everyone goes, oh, you didn't go to the Peterson Museum. You didn't go to see me. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. I said, no, because I, I just didn't want to, you know. Um, so you've got to keep a balance, I suppose. That's the danger you, you can run. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my wife goes bananas at me. I sit on the couch watching TV on Instagram, looking at trucks, and she goes, yeah. "Don't you? What else yeah. do you want to look at? Like, yeah, yeah. there must be yeah. something else." Yeah, so, yeah, it's a risky run, and I guess you just got to do the best you can to keep a balance, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah. So, so Dad had a little um, Chevy pickup. What What was your first car? What did you sort of learn to drive in? My first car, I actually got an old um, it was a VC Commodore station wagon a mate of dad's had and I, I bought it off him for a couple hundred bucks and I think it had a hole in the block or an intake manifold or something. It, was, it had been smacked in the front and probably I was uh, 15, 16-ish, I guess, 16, 17, I suppose, when I got that. I actually started building my own hot rod before that, a few years before that, and I still haven't finished it, <laughs> but I'll get there one day. Um, <laughs> I built many other things in between, but uh, it's still it's here in the shop now. Actually, it's ready to build, but uh, yeah, one day. Uh, but yeah, did up this old Commodore and um, and had that for a couple of years, and you know, and moved out of that and and um, yeah, into other stuff after that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it got me around at the time. Did the job. So. Wasn't super exciting, but it did the job. And and so, what's your background? You know, you you obviously have your head around suspension design and and CAD work and all that sort of thing. Was did you study that stuff, or is that something you've just taken on later? No, I um I'm actually graphic designer by trade, so I did that um, four year course at uni on graphic design, and we didn't do any CAD or any of that stuff in that in that in, in hindsight probably would have been better to do industrial design. Um, but uh, I had no intention of going to university when I when I left school, and and because uh, I thought it was just going to be like another school and I wasn't into that. And then and the careers teacher said, oh, well, you might as well um, apply for something just in case you change your mind and you want to go to uni. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go. <laughs> she said, well, you might as well apply for something. So I said, all right, well, well what? She said, well, what are you good at? And I said, I'm good at drawing. So she said, all right, well, let's, let's apply for graphic design. So got into it. It came back. I got accepted or whatever. And I said, oh, I, just, I don't want to go. So I just throw it out. Whatever. And she said, no, well, you might as well um, just defer it for 12 months in case you do change your mind later on. So that's what we did. 
And in the meantime, I moved down um, to Newcastle and, and, and uh, met a couple of guys actually who were doing industrial design at uni. And this is back in the day before um, passwords and internet security and, 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 and general security. You could just wander into the university and start using the computer and stuff. So I did. And that's where I got into doing, um, uh, you know, renderings of cars and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, and then I thought, oh, this is not too bad. There's, there's beer, there's women, there's, this is not like school at all. So then I, next year I went to the university. So, and the rest is history. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. And then, so what, where did, did you go and work in that field for a while? Or, no, you know, when uh, did... no. So basically, what I did as, as, as of probably about uh, the end of second year, so beginning of third year, so I kind of started my own business on the side doing graphic design. So that when the time came and I graduated, I didn't have to go looking for a job. Um, a lot of my mates from from that course, they ended up going to Sydney and, and to work in advertising and, and yeah, stuff like that. And it just didn't really interest me. That's what that course was geared towards. It was good fun. I enjoyed doing it. But that's not where I wanted to end up. You know, I didn't want to put on a suit and get on a train every day and go to the middle of the city and work on an advertising campaign. It just, it just wasn't me. So I started my own business in the meantime. And basically, of course, my based on my interests, Doing renderings and, and artwork and stuff for automotive type stuff. So, um, and by the time uni had finished, it was going well enough to the point where basically I just did that business for the next ten years, pretty much. So, yeah, that's how I got into that stuff. So, um, a lot of stuff in the early days was um, this is back in the days when guys like uh, Darren McBeth and Mark Jones were building show cars and stuff like that. I did a lot of concept designs for those type of guys, a lot of t-shirt artwork and stuff, which I still do on the side. Um, a lot of that type of stuff, and, and it basically stemmed from there. So, yeah, and it, was that mainly uh, you know pen on paper kind of work, or was it on on the computer? Pretty much always computer based since day one. You know, so um, it's just it's, it's a funny thing, and people go, oh, you know, it's um, is it easy to use a computer or whatever? No, the computer is just a tool. You know, so if you know if you can't draw without a computer, you can't draw with one. You know, um, it's a kind of thing I try to explain to people. It does make it easier if you fuck up, you can fix your mistakes. Um, but apart from that, essentially it's just another tool, you know. So you've got to have it, you know, in your in your I don't know if you have to beat that on it. Um, if in your um, you got to have the skill set anyway, you know what I mean? So um, it's um, and then from there later it wasn't until I started the shop that I actually got into the CAD design, you know. So Yeah. But the the general computer skills sort of just keep on building, don't they? It's uh it's something that I know from me. I've been a pen and paper guy my whole life, and yeah. and I I started to you know I got like a free whatever it was a free trial of I think it was Rhino 3D. Yeah. So I was you know watching watching YouTube videos and making a 3D wine bottle and doing all this yeah. shit. And it's like yeah. the more you do it, you you kind of understand how things work. But it's it's a whole yeah. different world. Yeah, it is. It is. And I would, as I said before, I probably would have been better off doing the industrial design. Because my mates that I had doing that, they were doing pen and marker renderings and stuff like that, and I really enjoy that. And I wish that I'd kind of um, had the opportunity to do more of that stuff. And now I just don't have the time. Like occasionally, I've tried to go uh, to get into a bit of pinstripe and stuff for the last couple of years, and all that, you know, a bit more hand done stuff and that. And I love it, but I just simply don't have the time to practice it to get to the point where I want to be. That it frustrates me, and I just like, well, I just put it aside, you know, because I've got too much to do. I was like, I'll, I'll do that later, you know. So. One day I'll, I'll get back into striping and stuff like that, but yeah, I would like to do a lot more hand stuff. But it's just it's just a time factor, you know. You get that busy with work, it's just it just gets put to the side. So, um, but the computer based stuff's enjoyable. Um, and as I said, it's all the same process at the end of the day, no matter what what tool you're using. So yeah, yeah. But I mean, the the huge advantage is that you can take 
from your rendering, you, you can create like a cutting list for a CNC or something like that. Whereas, you know, the, the way that I've done things in the past, I end up with four bits of cardboard that I'm tracing yeah. out and, you know, yeah. it's a, you know, it's a, a yeah. whole different world. Yeah. And then that's the angle that I come up, come at it from, cause that's what we're doing. So I, I have to do it from a production based point of view, you know, so we have to do all the 3D code stuff and get that sorted. And like I said, that's great. Then you just bang it off the laser cutters and back come all your brackets and everything and, and you know, they fit. And, and away you go. So it is a huge help, that stuff. So, you know, so I always say it's not, we're not doing any, we're not any more clever than the, the guys that come before us that were building cars for the last 50 years. They just had an oxy and a stick welder. We're no we're smarter than them. I actually think opposite. They're probably smarter than us. Um, but we can just knock stuff out a lot quicker and with a higher level of finish, you know. Um, but I think the old boys that were doing it back in the day far and away more skilled than we are because um, look what they were doing with what they had, you know. Um, my dad had a stick welder and a, a grinder and an oxy, and that's all he had. Um, they still built cars. It just took them 10 years, whereas we do it in two, you know. So, but um, it definitely, it makes life a lot easier for us, you know. Yeah, and, and you've got the ability that you can you can cycle suspensions through a computer and make sure everything's working, whereas, you know, they were like, put it on the truck and, and see what fouls and, and what yeah, exactly, there, you know. Yeah, exactly right, you know. So we can do that much quicker and easier now. And, um see what's going to fail, what's not going to fail. There might be something you didn't even think of. And then you go, oh, wow, I didn't even think, you know, now I can see that. And you can sort that out before the, before the, um, the, becomes a problem, you know. So at what stage did you decide uh, it's time to start a shop? Was that, was that a big decision and you did that in one hit or was that a, a little side gig that got bigger? Yeah, I know it was pretty much all in one hit. So, um, Basically, um, I went and worked for Laurie for a bit at a chop shop down there in Gosford. He, he wanted me to come manage the shop for a while. And, um, you know, when that all, when all finished up, I, um, I just thought, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I had nothing else to do, so I'd, I'd go and start my own shop, you know. So, and, um, yeah, it's obviously just grown from there. And and when was that? How, lo- how long has the shop been going for? Uh, so that was 2014, so it's about, it's about five, six years now. And I mean, you you guys are probably known at the moment for doing a lot of really high end pickup work, but it it seems like you maybe were in the the Holden Tirana kind of phase early on. We're a bit of both, and probably still, if you walk out there now, it's about half and half. So um, my my uh, personal passion is probably for the pickups, or not probably is for the pickup stuff. Um, but there's a lot of people around doing early holds and stuff, and we like that too, you know. So. Um, the business is business. You take what, what comes to an extent. Um, but, yeah, if we were up to me, we'd probably have a shop, a shop full of Chevy, Chevy trucks and nothing else. So, um, But, uh, you know, you can't you can't do one thing all the time. And we enjoy yeah, a bit of everything, good variety. So, yeah. Um, and obviously we need, because we've got the other side of the business as well, doing the parts and, the, you know, the mail order type stuff, um, then we need those cars. They need to do development and stuff off, you know. So, um, I don't own one of every old and ever made, so I can't use that for, for a prototype, you know. So um, as they come through the shop, and uh, we can get parts made for them, and, you know, so we need that as well. Yeah. So you, you guys specialise um, in doing, like, a independent front suspension kits for a lot of these vehicles? Yeah, yeah. So that's our, what we've mainly been concentrating on for the last few years. So we do a lot of for the early holds, but we do all, all the pickup stuff too, so Chevy and F100 and, and all that stuff, and universal type stuff as well. Um, and we did do one-offs and, and, and modify them to suit other cars and stuff. You know, we've done some oddball stuff along the way as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's what we mainly concentrate on. And then there's the simpler stuff like the rear, rear four bars, falling kits and trailing arms and um, 
uh, tube arm kits for the front and stuff like that, so as well as full full front ends. Yeah, so so a guy can bring his book his truck in and, and get you guys to do all the work, or he can come in and buy an independent front that'll just weld into his chassis and, and exactly a right, yeah. that he can put together. Either way, so we're kind of trying to cover it a little bit with both, you know, um, not hammer, not not box ourselves into a corner of only building cars in the shop or only doing parts, you know, so we do a little bit of both. And then we've got a little bit of retail here, you know, it's small parts and, you know, it's paints and, and, and sound any materials and stuff like that. So the three things together uh, basically make up what we do pretty much. So, And I, I see you're uh, putting together a pretty interesting shop truck at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So I've had a couple of 55 to 59 pickups, which are my personal favourite, you know. I don't think – I think they just got that one spot on, Chevy. That was pretty right. So um, – but I've sold, you know, both of them in the, in the past and um, I was looking for something. I wanted something a bit ugly and a bit out there and a bit weird because, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff around sort of same-ish now, you know. You know a, so I was just looking for something a little bit different. So after I sold that and looked for about 12 months and I spotted this thing one day on the, on Facebook and I was like, yeah, that's it. That's that's ugly as hell. So I'll, that'll be the one. So went down there, looked at it and said, yep, yeah, no, no worries. And... Um, yeah, basically turn it into a um, into a a shop truck that will will take all our stuff to to shows and, and events and stuff, you know, so all our parts and so it's, I'm not making it a real big truck because I still want to be able to use it around town. Um, so it's a fairly it's actually shorter than Scotty's. Um, Scotty's got a 55 with a fleet side uh, bed on it. It's actually shorter than that. It's wider, so it looks looks big. But um, yeah, I still want to be able to use it around town, and then pack all the boys in it and all the gear, and and, and um, it's got a second row of seats will go in the back, so you, and a bench in the front, so you will be able to carry six people, um, or you can just unclip. That's out of a Mercedes Sprinter or something, the rear row of seats. You just unclip them and throw them out, and then you can fill the back full of gear. So just trying to make it fairly versatile to get around, get around with. And so, what is it? It's an Austin FGK. Is that what I? Yeah, it up is. On? Yeah, yeah. So they made them under a few different names back in the day. Comer and Leyland and stuff like this. This one is actually in Austin. But, uh, yeah, I think it's about 62 or something like that. So, yeah, a little cab over thing. Like I said, it's ugly as hell, but that's what I wanted. But it, 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 it's proof of the common the common theme that no matter what car you take, if you slam it on the ground and put good wheels on it, they can look all right. That's it, mate, yeah. Pretty much it. Maybe not AU, but maybe everything apart from that, maybe. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's that's it, man. Two things: it's wheels and stance. That are the two things that you know you get them right, and maybe thirdly, maybe color. But those first two, you get them right, and you know you can make a killer killer looking car for not very much money. You know, um, conversely, there's a lot of cars being built that have had a bucket of money thrown at them, and maybe not that much of an impact result. You know, because there's it's just a getting those couple of things right in the beginning, I think, and then um, you can make a fairly a fairly trick looking car on a reasonable budget you know yeah totally totally and and how have you found the last sort of year or two with the the changes in the engineering chassis laws has that affected you guys or, or your clients much not so much man at the end of the day it is what it is isn't it you need that you need that piece of paper at the end of the day so what the engineer says you can do you can do and what you can't you can't like there's no there's not really any way around it so um it'd be nice if they just kind of made a nationwide set of rules that would just stay and be black and white and then everyone could just work to it you know we don't care what they are just make a set of rules and we could we can work to it but they seem to want to chop and change them all the time for i don't know what reason but not really no we, we, we always just engage the engineer at the beginning and say look this is what we're thinking about doing can we do it 
and he'll either say yeah or, or, or yes with some modifications or no, you can't. And at the end of the day, we, we have to do what he says, you know. So um, it hasn't really affected us too badly, I don't think. Um, the changes and that, they, they seem to change and then change back and then change back again. So, yeah, so um, like I said, it seems that the more it changes, the more it stays the same and you just work to the rules and you're done, you know. That's all you can do. Yeah. So if, if you get a if you get a client contact you and say, look, you know, I just say this, you know, I just got a uh, 52 Chev cab that I bought on Facebook, you know, it's just on a pallet. There's no chassis. Yeah. There's nothing like that. You know, we want yeah. you guys to do a, do a build for me. Yeah. What What's your go What's your go to that you steer someone like? Do you Do you have a bit of input in that? Do you say, look, I, you know, let's use this sort of chassis and this sort of engine, or or how does that normally work? Yeah. Well, I guess uh, it depends on the client. Some of them will come with some preconceived ideas, and others will just have no idea, you know, and 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 just pretty much turn it over to us. And I suppose at the end of the day, that's that's what we're here for, you know. Like I don't. You know, when I need some plumbing at home, I call the plumber and I, I listen to what he says and I do what he says, you know. So then that's why we pay the guy. Uh, and similar thing in, in this regard, you know, but look, most of them will have, you know, a, a sort of half concrete idea of what they're after and maybe just need the blanks filled in and the more technical stuff and that. But that's what we're here to do, give advice about the way we will do it. And at the end of the day, um, I'll always let the, of course, let the client make the final call, you know. So it's they're, they're the ones signing the checkbook. So I, I might make suggestions as to, okay, this is the way I'd probably do it. But if you want to paint your car half yellow and half pink with a green stripe in the middle, that's up to you, you know. I'll probably say it's not how I'd do it. But if you're going to sign the paper and the check at the end of the day and that's what you want, that's what you get. Because if the customer's happy, we're happy, you know. So um, we're here to give advice and, and try and steer them in the, what we think is the right direction. Um, and then they can make the call from there. And do you find your majority of stuff you, you're doing sort of like an LS swap in them or you, you're staying traditional carb stuff? Uh, a lot of LS stuff these days, you know, and for good reason. It makes sense. You know, it's cheap, reliable horsepower. Um, it's the it's the version of the small block from back in the day. It was the best thing available at the time. So everyone uses the small block, you know, it's the same thing now. And it'll change again. Something else will come along and, and the LS will get left behind and, and we'll use other stuff in the future. But yeah, maybe electric motors, who knows? Uh, but um, at the moment, it's kind of the best thing available. And it's not like you don't have to put that in. And, and it's nice to see cars now that don't use an LS for that very reason because you see them under everything. Uh, but having said that, that's, personally, that's all I'd probably ever use because it's just, like I said, good, cheap, reliable horsepower. Um, but it's nice when you see a, an old 308 or a, a red six-cylinder or a Hemi or whatever, you know, because you just don't see that much of them anymore. So, um, but from a... From a drivability standpoint, you know, it's hard to go past a minute. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the last episode um, that we did, I spoke to a guy, and he's in Oman, which is in Saudi okay. Arabia, sort of, yeah, in the middle in the Middle East. And their average daily temperature in summer is fifty five degrees Celsius. Yeah, right. So, so in the summer, they they just can't drive a carburetor engine so he yeah. basically is putting an ls he's putting an ls in his truck just so he can drive it all year really yeah nice yeah now as so i said that they're, they're good reliable you know it's hard to go past and what about conversion do you you know if someone brings you a us truck do you convert many of them or do you tend to leave them as left hookers uh again that's customer's preference um yeah. if it was me i'd convert them to right hand drive it just makes it far more usable some people uh want to leave it left hand drive i mean there used to be kind of a cool factor that came with that years ago, but I think now there's that many left-hand drive cars around that, you know, that's kind of not really an issue. Um, so for me, I'd convert anything I had. Um, but some people, I don't know, for originality or, or 
what they just want to leave in the left hand. So we just leave it up to the customer. Are you are you a member? Like, do you guys do cars and coffee kind of? Or do you have a car club thing or any of that sort of going on around the area? Uh, not necessarily. Um, my dad was in clubs for years, and so we went to all club runs and stuff as as a kids and that. And then he he's in a he's in a hot rod club now. He they started sort of twenty five years ago now. And they kind of kept it a closed thing that you can either be born into or or invited into by a hundred percent unanimous vote kind of thing, you know. Because just trying to avoid that a lot of that nonsense that comes with clubs and stuff. On the surface, I think they're a great idea, but you know, human nature, uh, people in clubs tend to you know end up bickering and carrying on. So we kind of stay. I kind of stay away from that a little bit personally. But that means you can just kind of float around and go to all the events, you know, and you don't have to. Well, you can go to them all anyway, but. You know what I mean? Uh, you're not kind of associating yourself with just a particular set of people. But, um, yeah, anything that's on like that, I mean, cars and coffee is a, is a good thing that have come on in the last few years, I think, you know. So the stuff we build here is to get out and use. You know, we're not really into show cars and things that sit still because I just think they should be on the road being used. So the more of that kind of stuff that's around, the better for me. We like to build stuff that's neat and tidy and well-engineered and, and that's it. You know, we, we won't do show cars that... Probably a little SX Coupe we got here is the closest thing we'll do to a show car, and it's not, but it, it'll be pretty real nice at finish and stuff. But, yeah, we just like stuff you can get out and use. You know? That's what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've got fond memories of passing through Newcastle when I'm doing surf trips up and down the coast. And, you know, Friday, Saturday night, just there's that big loop that you guys have down there. It's like a car show every weekend. Yeah, and, it, and that's kind of died off a little bit in the, in the recent years. And that, and I've talked about it a few times with mates and that, so we should actually do something about this, particularly in summer, is is bring that kind of cruise night thing back in here. Because Newey's all changed a lot in the last few years and it's really come on. And um, when I was young, Dad and that and the rickshaws, they'd have cruise nights around the harbour and stuff, you know, and that was, that was good fun. And uh, that's kind of died off a little bit. So I think there's probably a, a bit of room there for someone to bring that back, you know, um, especially now with what done in town and stuff and that so um that stuff's pretty oh like that stuff's enjoyable yeah 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 it used to be entertaining because you'd you'd get four guys in volkswagens and then there'd be you know a couple of supers or something and then there'd be the guys in the in the pickups and yeah. and it was very it was very segmented but yeah it was a con a constant stream yeah yeah so no it's like i said that's the kind of stuff i prefer rather i i'd go to a and no offence, but I go to Motorex or something. I walk around for an hour. I'm bored. You know, I just got to go. Um, I just can't do cars sitting still. <laughs> you know, I appreciate what goes into them. Don't get me wrong. There's some really, really trick stuff being built. Some really guys doing some really, really cool stuff. Um, but to me, a show car when it's finished its life after 12 or 18 months, what do you do with it? You know, you, half of them you can't register. They're not a race car. You know, you put it in the garage and sit around drink beers, I suppose. So um, that's kind of where the stuff that we build you know we just see the stuff that you can get out and use and abuse so us us travel stuff i mean have you been over there and and bought vehicles and brought them back or or do you just tend to pick up stuff here uh my first chevy pickup i actually imported from from the us bought from san francisco and um this was in the early days of ebay and and uh I didn't really know how eBay worked, and, and I thought, oh, that's a nice-looking truck. I'll, I'll stick a bit on that. And lo and behold, I'll come back the next morning. This is before you had phones with internet everything on it. And um, they said, oh, you won the truck. I'm like, oh, beauty. All right, well, I better organise and do something about it and get it over here. So I did. And um, that was the, the guy's daily driver, and that was the first Apache uh, that I built was that one. Uh, and that's the only car I've actually bought in from the US uh, in, in my time. So now we – and I think that period we had there with the dollar, 
four, five, six years ago, whatever it was when it was at parity or even even more, so much stuff got bought over here that I think we're kind of spoiled for choice a little bit. You know, you don't have to go looking over there anymore if you don't want to. So um, there's that many Chevy pickups and that getting around here now. It's just ridiculous, you know. So um, I think I've heard a lot of the stuff was going back for a while, but, you know, I bought it all back. Um, and I guess that's just going to happen over the next few years with the dollar going up and down and who knows what it's going to do now. But um, they tend to just go back and forth. I think the only people that went out of that are the shipping shipping companies. Um, but, yeah, there is a lot of stuff around here for sale now, so we, so we kind of support for choice a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it seems like the only thing that's that's hard to get is is a complete patina vehicle that's not a complete rust bucket, you know? Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. So um, if that's what you're going for, I guess you, you're going to be better off to go over and do the research and, you know, or not now anymore, but, you know, back in the days, 1200 bucks to fly over and check something out, you might as well go do that and uh, rather than risk, risk, um, you know, that sight unseen type stuff. So, but uh, yeah, if they, other than that, like I said, the whole patina thing's pretty cool. Um, the, um, I, I, I like patina trucks in it. It's, I don't like the ones that are too far gone, like really super ratty, um, but I, I like the stuff that's just kind of looks used and, and genuine and original, you know, so. So one of the things that you guys just recently released was a, a really cool little video called Chasing the Dream that you did, mm. which was a, you know, I don't think anyone that's watched that video hasn't sort of just had that moment where they go, man, that's just so awesome because yeah, yeah. you've got you got a father and son team and, and you know, we won't spoil the whole video because I, I think people should yeah. should get on YouTube and, and watch that. But uh, it's, you know, it's not all about hot rodding, is it? Like that that's a resto you guys are doing on that car. Pretty much, yeah. It's got. It's actually going to get one of our. Well, it's getting one of our front suspensions, and it's got a new diff under it and a few things. A bit of uh, rail work at the back to to get it down a little bit. But to look at essentially, uh, it's basically a resto or a very, very mild custom, and and that's how it was in the sixties. And if you watch that video, you know that's what part of the whole story. They want to leave it basically the way. It, oh, sorry, restore it to the way it was. You know. Um, so yeah, it's got some mild stuff done to it, but. Um, that's cool. That's a people story. That's not a car story at all. You know, that's a people story, which is is what's cool about it. You know, so and when Adam first came and saw me about that, and um, I just wanted to be part of it, you know, no matter what. So that's the kind of stuff that makes these kind of things worthwhile. You know, like sometimes you feel like just oh, it's just all too much. You know, I'd rather just pack it in and go work at Bunnings or something. You know, but um, then that kind of stuff comes along, and that's the stuff that really makes it worthwhile for you. You know, so. Yeah, that's a good one. Good one to be involved in that one. So, and and we made that video. I said to Adam on day one when I went and looked at the car, I want to make a video of this. I said it's not for us. It's it's for you. I don't need any more. I don't need to pick up work out of it. I just want you to have a record of because I can see it's such a cool story here, and um, and I just want you guys to have a record for for generations to come. You know, of of, of that car because it's such a cool story. And uh, so Linda here um, did all the all the filming and all the editing and put it all together and, and did a killer job. So. Um, Adam came in the day before we released it on YouTube so we could show him and, and he didn't know what to say which is which is cool so um, he was blown away and, and um, we were happy just to be part of that story so it's still got a long way to go obviously it you know get, goes off and, and gets the rest of the rest of the car built but um, you know we're pretty much done our part and, and stoked to have been part of it so yeah yeah and I did a great job it's definitely refreshing I mean you know you can you can sit and watch a hundred guys putting suspension into a truck or something you know and it's everyone's a little bit different but it's all the same shit really yeah and, pretty much and, yeah. and to, see, to see something like that where as you say that's a people story you know and yeah and and 
you know, it almost seems like with all due respect, but just in the nick of time for that family to get that done. Yeah, that's right. You know, so um, it's Adam wants to get it done and, and, and take his old boy for a drive. You know, while all the cogs are still connected. You know, um, so um, you know, and it's been. He, he messaged me the other day actually and said that because um, his dad's currently in a, in a nursing home at the moment, and and uh, the nurse texted Adam and said that, um, he's watching that video three times a day and uh, and just loving it. You know, <laughs> and you can see his, his you can see his, in the video you can see his face like light up and stuff when they talk about it. You know, it's just cool. It's all still in there for him. He just needs to access it. You know, so something like that's you know really cool for him. So and I mean, you guys have a a really good YouTube channel at the moment. You're putting out some really good content, and um, it's it's good. To, to follow the builds, you know, like you do your build files and things. And I, I think that, you know, anyone that's listening, if you haven't gotten on board, just just jump on the uh, United Speed Shop YouTube and subscribe and, and, and keep up to date with the builds because uh, there's some really nice stuff coming out of the shop. But, yeah, the YouTube stuff, I think um, we're still finding our feet a little bit with it. And, and, and it's just a bit of fun, really. You know, we're not trying to be Hollywood megastars. And, and I personally don't particularly like getting in front of the camera and doing it, but it's, uh, you know, I'd probably rather the other boys do it most of the time. But, it's good fun, and and again, it'll be good for us to have a record, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the track, looking back at some of the early stuff we did and, and that kind of thing. And if people get a kick out, then cool. If they don't, then they don't have to watch it, you know. So um, I don't want it to look too polished and, and professional. Like we're human, we, we screw stuff up occasionally, we get things wrong, and, you know, we have cranky days and, and all the rest of it. And if, if all that goes in, I think it's only good because it only gives people a realistic idea of, of what goes on, you know. So... I mean, you can edit your shows and, and, and have a heap of people off camera doing stuff and build cars in a week. We all know that's not that's not realistic, you know. So it's, I think it's good for people to see, you know, inside, you know, a real hot rod shop and, and see the trials and tribulations you go through and, and the good days you have, you know. So uh, but at the end of the day, if they enjoy watching it, they get something out of it, then happy days. Yeah. Yeah, There there is that unrealistic ability for people to think that, you know, you can build a car in a month or two or something like that where – yeah. Just not not real world. What what would be an average time? I know this is a really broad open question, but you know, if if I brought a truck over from the states, maybe it's still got the original blue flame six in it, and it kind yeah. of runs, and it's it's complete ish. But I want new suspension and an LS and and a tidy up. What what's the, you know? Are we looking at a year, two years? What's what's the sort of build time? Probably a good a good number for us is say is, is twelve months. You know, ish. Yeah. Um, and it obviously it depends on, on job to job what, what happens to it the length you go to and stuff but it also depends on the customer too and at what rate they want to spend money as well you know because uh, some customers may not be able to fund that five days a week you know 52 weeks a year uh, and that gets real expensive real quick um, so they might they might say look can you do two weeks a month on it or a week a month or three weeks a month or whatever it might be um, so we kind of we're working with the customer a little bit too on that you know so as long as we both got a reasonable expectation up front um, you know things happen sometimes things take longer sometimes they get done quicker but we try and get a, you know, a rough estimate of, of where it's going to come out you know and do, do most customers seem to stick to their original plan or, or do they get stuck down a rabbit hole not really uh, most of them end up doing a hundred more things. Uh, it's the nature of the yeah. game. So, but you do have to a little bit because obviously no one's got an endless budget, you know. So you've got to try and work with them a little bit. Say, okay, look, you got to have to pull the reins in here a little bit, or, or, or yeah, we can achieve what you want to do, but we're going to have to maybe cut not a cut corner, but you know, adjust a few things and do something differently to get what you want to get for your for your budget. Um, because yeah, nine times out of ten they'll just say, well, look, well, see, we might as well do this. We might as well do that. You know, I get excited and. You know, see another truck down the street. Go, well, that was cool. I might do that. You know, so 
which is great and it gives us more work but uh you know yeah you've got to keep a, a lid on it a bit you know so but as a general rule now they'll end up getting most cars get some extra stuff done so. yeah and that, that makes it tricky too because you've you've got the next car booked in exactly with right. an expectation that it's going to come in in you know say three months and then all of a sudden it's six months and and that's right and that's probably the hardest the nature of this game is probably the hardest um part of it is is that kind of stuff you know trying to keep a balance between work coming in the doors and having everyone got stuff to work on and get money and get paid for and not overcommit yourselves because you know these things are probably going to you know the clients probably going to add extra stuff but obviously they're not going to say that at the beginning so you're trying to get a, a workflow happening that fits everything in but also leave yourself a bit of wiggle room and so that's kind of probably the hardest part of the whole game is balancing that you know so that's why we don't want to get too big because it just gets too big to handle you know you'd have too, too many you'd have to put a full-time manager just to basically you know work out a schedule for the shop so yeah i think that's it's a good idea not to get too carried away beyond your your resources or your abilities you know so yeah yeah so is united speed shop open to fords no we no. yeah we haven't <laughs> We haven't anything. Oh, I've got a couple of Fords out there right now, actually. A 35 and a 40. So, um, And we got an F100 during in about a week, uh, 65 or 67 from memory. Um, so, yeah, we've got nothing against Fords, mate. So oh, I've been a Chevy Holden man since I was a kid, but I like all cool cars, you know. I even like Volkswagens, you know. So, um, no, nah, we'll we take anything. We don't have a cutoff date or anything either, but generally we're sort of working on pre-70s stuff. Um, but like I said, we'll work on anything that's cool. We're not prejudiced. Yeah, and I mean, it, it makes it makes sense to to specialise to a degree because you, you can't be too broad, can you? Like otherwise, you just end up wasting time. Well, that's it. You reinvent the wheel every time, you know. So, like for instance, one of these fifty-five to fifty-nine Chevy pickups. It's kind of just a process for us now. You know, it's almost a cut and paste from the previous one. You know, most of them get an LS two, LS three, front end, rear end. They're all getting the same thing. So, you know, we've got half the stuff on file. We do a front end. Oh, sorry, we do a, well, we do a front end. We also do a rear end for them, which we know goes straight on, gives us the, the dimensions we want, all the rest of it. So, yeah, to a degree, if you can if you can kind of standardise some of that stuff, uh, then, you know, it's just a smart way of working, isn't it, you know? So I often look at the guy down the road who just, just does Volkswagens, and I think that's a great idea because he keeps Volkswagen parts on the shelf and he knows about every single one of them, you know? So... Whereas here, you could have, you know, 18 different makes of car and you kind of reinvent the wheel a little bit for everyone. So, um, but, you know, the more we go along, the more data we accumulate, you know, we can look back at ones that we've done and go, okay, we know that works because we did it on that one. And because everyone's doing something similar, the, the result might be different, but there's a similar process to, to get there, you know, so, yeah. So if, if I, for instance, say my build that I got going back here, if I wanted to put one of these... Um, Magnum IFS is in it. Yeah. Do, do you effectively, you know, you you could take the one that you've got designed for a '55 Chevy pickup and and just adjust the width of the rails and and then put that together for me to weld into my chassis. Yeah, simple terms, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So most of the components across those are the same or variations of, you know. So obviously control arms are different lengths and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of the components in it are the same. So we we can essentially adjust. This was saying at the beginning, we can pretty much adjust the suit. You know, anything. You know, we've got we've done some for. Cobras and Corvettes and, and you know the Studebaker and, and all those kind of things because they're all fairly similar at the end of the day. Um, and I just basically get um, get from the guy the information. He's 
bit of information where it's chassis rail dimensions and widths and stuff like that. And um, the other one is your, your wheel mount face, you know, where you want your, your wheels to sit. And I'll pretty much go through the back catalogue of front ends and see, okay, what's similar already? And then we can make a tweak to or an adjustment to, and then that becomes a new front end to suit that one. And then that one goes on file. And the next time the guy comes along that wants the same one, it's already done, you know? So it does get quicker as we go along because it's not a clean sheet design every time. You're not starting from scratch every time. So, yeah. Um, and that was the thing in the beginning to make them kind of not modular, but but easily adaptable to suit everything because it just makes sense, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you and you do you do a coilover version and an airbag version of each? For most everything, yeah, except some of the real small early hold stuff is too narrow to fit an airbag in there, but most everything you can you can get in either, uh, either version, yeah. Cool. Oh, Ryan, mate, really good to chat. Now, you guys have got some really cool swag as well. So your website uh, has an online shop and, you know, you've got hoodies and shirts and some really – Nice designs on there. So, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, jump on uh, unitedspeedshop.com and, and check out all the gear. Uh, also uh, on Instagram at United Speed Shop and Facebook page as well. So, mate, really appreciate you taking the time on a Saturday to come and have a chat to us. And, uh, oh, my pleasure, mate. Yeah, and, and as someone that sees and, and speaks to a lot of different shops and people, um, yeah, really impressive to see what's coming out of the stable. No, oh, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. No, no, pleasure. And, uh, yeah, we might keep in touch in the future and uh, one day when we're allowed to come visit, we might head up that way. Yeah, for sure. I'd be welcome anytime. Man. We'll put a barbie and a couple of beers on and yeah, be good times. Sounds good. All right, mate. I'll let you get back to it. Thank you, man. Enjoy your weekend. You too. Cheers, mate. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day Even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.